Hi, I'm Paul Alexander. I work with Odyssey Communications, and this is Dingo Talk. What's going on, Chuckleheads? I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Dingo Talk. My guest, Paul Alexander with Odyssey. Um, Paul, thank you for taking the time to uh, sit down with us tonight and have a conversation. Carlo, my pleasure. We're going to take you back, take you back to 1979 in uh, Churchill, Pennsylvania, uh, just outside of Pittsburgh. You decided to go to Penn State. Was that the only school you were looking at? And what was the reasoning behind it? Well, I, I had gone to visit my sister. Uh, she was four years ahead of me. And I went up for her orientation. And we stayed at the Nittany Lion Inn. Uh, I walked across the street and played golf by myself as, you know, my parents and my sister did all the, the official stuff. And I just absolutely fell in love, you know, with the campus. And mm -hmm. actually a, a girl I was dating, uh, her brother was going to Penn State. And I came up and, and to visit my sister and, and kind of hung out and spent a little time with him. And ironically, ran into at a fraternity party. I'm in ninth grade. I run into the superintendent of schools at Churchill, as well as the principal at Churchill. And they, of course, had a beer in their hands, and uh, as did I. And we kind of caught, you know, uh, <laughs> we looked at each other and we just kind of went, uh, are you okay? I'm okay. Are you okay? We're okay. We're perfect. <laughs> Every, everything's okay. I mean, it was just, you know, it was a different time. Again, no cell phones. No nonsense like that. But mm -hmm. if, if Pitt would have had a broadcast journalism school, uh, I would have seriously considered the University of Pittsburgh. My dad was a Pitt guy. Two of my sisters uh, were Pitt guys. But I honestly fell madly in love uh, with the campus. I really did. So a little, little family rivalry then there with the with Oh, the, boy. I mean, Pitt back, when Pitt, and... back when Pitt Penn State was the real deal, uh, you know, I had two sisters who went to Pitt. My dad went to Pitt. And then my other sister and then her, her husband, who she met there, obviously Penn Staters. So, yeah, it was a tremendous, tremendous family rival. And it was just it's still criminal to me that it's not a, an every year situation. That's just it makes no sense. Makes it, it it's one of the many mysteries that the yeah. NCAA is dealing with right now when it comes to college football. Um, so from a young age, though, was was broadcasting what you wanted to get into? There was no. No. Uh, I, I wanted to be, you know, an athlete. Um, I, I love sports more than anything in the world. And, you know, grew up playing a little bit of hockey, played baseball, played basketball, played football. Um, pretty decent in all of them, but, but not, not outstanding in any of them, unfortunately. Um, so I knew I wanted to stay very close to sports. And the thing that was really cool, um, a group of guys that had just the, the radio bug, Mm -hmm. We did something at Churchill called Before the Bell, and the three of us would come in every morning, a half an hour before school would start, and then over the PA system, we would play music, uh, do headlines, and of course, I, I did the sports, and oh, by the way, in 1979, uh, what a great year to be, you know, talking about Pittsburgh sports, and I would start, you know, certainly in September, I would start every morning with, how about them buckos? <laughs> We haven't been able to say that for a long time, but uh, no. uh, just a, a, an incredible year. And, and we did a lot of different fundraisers. And I remember one of the highlights of my senior year, uh, we had raised a boatload of money through this before the bell deal um, for Children's Hospital. 
and we went down and, you know, Jack Bogut was broadcasting from one of the Macy's, you know, windows. They had the, you know, the studio set up and um, I forget how big our check was. It was sizable. I mean, I, I think we did a pretty, you know, commendable job for a group of high school guys. Um, and uh, I got to explain to Jack Bogut how, how we made our money and where we were from. And I was in awe, you know, there I was talking to a legend and uh, it, it was just really cool. And now, I mean, to become, you know, a, a friend of, of Jack's over the years, I mean, just that kind of stuff blows my mind. I mean, Stan Saverin's now a dear friend. I mean, he was, he was my hero I... Uh, when I was growing up. I mean, so it, you live a dream and it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. So during your time at Penn State, um, you mentioned Greek life. Did you get involved in Greek life when you were there? I did. Um, I, I was a Delta Chi. And uh, the real cool thing that I was able to do, um, and again, back in that time, I mean, the, the written word, the newspaper was the absolute coolest thing you could be was a, was a sports writer. Mm-hmm. You know, people didn't really respect until it was in the paper. They didn't consider it real. If you, if you broke a story on the radio or on TV until they saw it in print, it wasn't legitimate. So my goal was to be a sports writer. Mm-hmm. So I forget the actual numbers somewhere around three or 400 um, for like, I think 16 or 17 spots on the daily collegiate, which really we published five days a week. I mean, it was really a legitimate paper. Mm-hmm. Um, I was lucky enough to, <laughs> I, I stalked this poor gymnast and you had to do a feature story to audition. And they gave me this Penn state gymnast and I tracked down her high school coach. I tracked and again, this is again, before Google and before everything else, I tracked down her parents I tracked, and they told us not to do that. And I went, you know what? Screw that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm going to do it. Yeah. And I got a hold of her, obviously. And we had a wonderful time and then wrote a really nice feature article about her and was lucky enough to, to make the daily collegiate staff. And that, that was phenomenal. But the coolest part of that, you know, you had a mailbox, you know, those big, you know, walls of like mailboxes and I had a mailbox and my second week there, I have a, something in there. I open it up. There's a decent check in there. I had no idea we were getting paid. Oh, now, now I granted, I mean, we, we did a ton of advertising and it was a legitimate publication and, you know, it did very well. I really think we had a staff that really rivaled the local newspaper, the center daily times up there, because we had, you know, a lot of really talented people mm-hmm. uh, that worked at the collegiate. So when I realized I was getting paid for that and then, so you know, just fast forward to 1982, I'm in New Orleans for a week on their dime covering Herschel Walker and Georgia against Penn State. And, you know, Joe Paterno wins his first national championship. And I got to write the game story of that Sugar Bowl game. And it was just, I'm, you know, I'm meeting Cap, you know, Keith Jackson. I'm, I'm interviewing Herschel Walker. And I mean, Vince Dooley was the coach of the Bulldog. It, it was absolutely surreal. And as much as I knew that's what I wanted to do, that cemented it beyond belief. <laughs> I would imagine. Beyond so. belief. That week was just, it, it was surreal. It was phenomenal. And actually, I stayed an extra year um, or a semester, whatever it was, to, to cover one more season. And it, it didn't go quite as well. In fact, you know, Penn State got off to a little bit of a rough start. But it, it was just, it was phenomenal. And I just, uh, I absolutely loved my time there. Well, so it's interesting that you brought up, I was going to ask you what your, your most memorable college uh, 
sporting event wise? Well, I guess I don't have to ask. Yeah, that, that, was... that Sugar Bowl certainly stands <laughs> out. There's no question about that. So when you leave Penn State, you you uh, you end up in Altoona for a little bit. Well, actually, I, I never really left. Um, you know, State College is very handy to Altoona. So uh, the great voice of Penn State right now, Steve Jones, who does mm-hmm. both football and basketball and has done it for 100 years, um, he offered me uh, a job doing radio uh, just from our interaction, you know, covering Penn State for all those years. And... I had never really pursued anything on the print side. So I was still in school and, and doing, you know, full-time radio work. And then that eventually turned into, you know, the weekend sports at, at channel 10 in Altoona. And I just made the commute, you know, I just, I just drove back and forth and I never really, you know, left state college. Now, for those that haven't been a part of it, give us a Saturday in in state college from from a, an alumni and a what what is a saturday like when you when you know that there's a home game uh well first of all you know happy valley becomes the third largest city in the commonwealth when everyone's there and uh i think in my time there i saw it go from uh 87,000 uh to 95,000 to 103,000. And then I, I came to Pittsburgh in 98. Uh, now they're up to 107,000. But um, I would do, you know, a, a live radio tailgate show uh, on the local radio station up there. And uh, it was an absolute blast. And then I turned that into a, a TV, you know, and it was so funny. See, I have a bit of a cold. <clears throat> I have to clear my throat a couple of times. But um, we didn't have I worked for a CBS affiliate and, and all of the Penn State games were normally on an ABC or an ESPN situation. Mm-hmm. And my station, God bless them. They're like, well, we can't, we don't have the games. How are we going to do a pregame show? And I just said, how do you watch TV at home? They said, what do you mean? They go, are you constantly using that remote control? Like it's, you're going to wear it out. <laughs> They're like, well, yeah, everybody does. I go, Exactly. If we promote the fact that we have a half an hour pregame show and we're going to get you over to the game, you know, by game time, mm-hmm. if we can't convince people to watch what we're going to put together, then we shouldn't be in this business. True. So that, that was a blast. And we, we had, we had so many memorable moments doing live, uh, you know, pregame shows, but the excitement and, and the thing that makes football King, I think both in college and in the NFL is you, the bigger games, Mm-hmm. That week-long buildup gets you so excited and so amped up and so pumped up that it becomes just a huge event. You know, baseball, hockey, the NBA, college hoops. I mean, you just wait for the next day. You have another game. You know, mm-hmm. it doesn't have that same kind of magnitude. And, and the, the playoffs do, yeah. but not until then. But not until then. So um, just the anticipation and the excitement for – you know, every home game. And, you know, I got to travel and I went to all the away games and, you know, got to visit all the big 10 towns and everything. It was just, I ended up staying there for 15 years. I, I had several opportunities to go. You know, I, I had an offer in Indianapolis. I had a couple of other offers. Um, but, you know, I was starting a family. Mm-hmm. Uh, normally those were two and three year contracts. Uh, the business, as you know, um, and I've certainly learned the hard way, um, it's not exactly a secure environment. You know, a, a news director changes, a general manager changes. 
oftentimes they change what's around them as well, just because they can and they want to. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to subject my family to that. So I had an eye on Pittsburgh. That was always my dream, always my goal. And I wasn't going to leave until I had that secured. And people kept telling me, you're not going to go from the 92nd market to the, you know, then I think we were 23 or 24, maybe even 22 when I came to Pittsburgh in, in, in uh, 98. Uh, but I said, you know what? I'm going to. Sorry. So let's talk about it. How do you end up in Pittsburgh? Um, well, this is what I tell when I, you know, I used to talk to a lot of, you know, classes when I was living up there. And I've, I've done that. Uh, we have some connections at Waynesburg now. And I've talked at some, you know, Duquesne classes and Pitt classes. But uh, versatility is a big, big asset in anything that you do. And even Mike Tomlin talks about position flexibility. So ironically, and again, the, the beauty of the business is, you know, there's interns and there's people that you work with and they all start spreading all over the country and they start getting, you know, bigger and better positions. And all of a sudden, someone that, you know, you helped along the way is now in a position to help you. So uh, one strange day, I ended up being in charge of State College and I didn't have to drive to Altoona all the time, but I still got to do the football and basketball and the things that I wanted. So it was kind mm-hmm. of an ideal position without the drive. But one day they called me. I think I had like, I said, you got to get down to Altoona now. I'm like, what's going on? They're like, we don't have anyone to anchor the news. I'm like, you want me to anchor the news? Like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Drive down there, anchor the news. Thankfully it went very well. So um, there was a bizarre situation uh, during one of the arts festivals, which is a big annual event up there in Happy Valley. Um, The kids just got out of control and became very destructive. And there were like riots and I mean, I lived on the outskirts in State College. I went, I got up at like seven the next morning, went and played golf. And everyone's like, did you hear what happened? I'm like, what happened? Like, well, kids rioted. I'm like, are you kidding me? And that was a, a Sunday morning. Wow. So I get a call from uh, the news director at KDK. And he said, hey, if we send our satellite truck up, would you anchor some reports for us about what happened? Sure. I mean, I'm going to be doing it for my station anyhow. I mean, it's a huge deal. Yeah. So we were able to secure a bunch of, uh, you know, individual video mm-hmm. to kind of tell the story. And it was awful. And I was so disappointed and so upset. And I guess it kind of showed because vandalism and destruction of property to me is just senseless. And it, it really, really makes me mad. You know, just the, the, the past couple of years in our country, the destruction of property, that mindless kind of activity just really makes my blood boil. So um, I did like three or four reports for KDKA and the news director said, um, why are you still there? Like still where? Like, why are you still in Altoona? I'm like, well, I really love Penn State. It's, you know, I'm raising a family. It's a great place to live. And he's like, um, you need to send me a tape. <laughs> and he goes, have you anchored any news? And I thought to myself, um, I've kind of focused on sports primarily, but um, I remembered, uh, yeah. So I, 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 in finding tape back then was not that easy. So I'm calling, I'm like, you have to find that newscast that I actually anchored because I need it. But I, yeah. mean, I go, I just need it. So I find it, I send it. Um, thankfully, uh, uh, an old friend of mine was now the assistant news director at KDK. And he goes, why haven't you been doing this all along? I'm like, well, because I love sports. I don't really you know, that's not really my thing. You know? yeah. I mean, 
whatever. It, it just, so I sent the tape. Um, that was in like July. Um, I, I did three auditions at, at KDKA and then they're like, well, and I just signed a new contract with Channel 10, but I always left for myself a Pittsburgh out. Mm-hmm. If I was offered a job in Pittsburgh, I was able to get out of that. You know, I, right. I wasn't bound by the contract. And sure enough, they offered me the morning anchor job at KDKA. And, you know, I, I jumped on it. I'm like, yeah, uh, <laughs> my ex-wife uh, was not exactly thrilled, but um, it worked out great for all, all of our purposes. So uh, I was able to come home and uh, it, it was very, very cool. It was a wonderful time. Now, when you come back, do you move, do you go to Churchill? Where do you, where do you settle for when you move back to Pittsburgh? Well, when we moved back, um, we moved to Monroeville. Okay. And that just made perfect sense because we thought, you know, being in the Eastern suburbs, we'd be going back and forth to the state college a lot. And it turns out, of course, you don't do that as much as you would think. And uh, we liked the Gateway School District. We liked everything about um, my girls were big into theater, musical theater. And my high school drama teacher had his own school for the performing arts in Monroeville. And it was just like God had a divine plan for us because it just worked out so perfectly. Um, and then, uh, you know, things kind of went a little sideways for us uh, in terms of our relationship. So I'm now in the South Hills and, and remarried and, you know, found someone in the business that understands just how whacked we are because we're in this business and we, we understand each other. And, you know, that, that's worked out great. My kids are great. So things, things have worked out extremely well. Well, and, and so you went, you, you and I share that in the, we're, we're reversed. I started yeah, in the South Scott Hills. Township to, to and then you're Monroeville to, to the South Hills. Um, so there's a couple other things you brought up earlier. Some of the guys that you've got the opportunity to work with. You're now at KDKA where, or well, at, the, at this point of the story, we're at KDKA. There's a guy that's about to be, it's, I think it's his 40th year at yep. KDKA. Um, what are some of the things from, from your time at KDKA that really stand out to you? Um, similar to that, the, the sugar bowl. Well, the thing that was uh, fortunate, unfortunate, um, Don Cannon had a, a, an episode, an unfortunate episode at TAE. Uh, the, the people in charge at KDK and TAE were bitter rivals, mm-hmm. really, really did not like each other. So when TAE let Don Cannon go, they brought Don Cannon on to be the morning anchor, my job. So yeah. that was like, okay, <laughs> we're in the big time now. He's Don <laughs> Cannon. I mean, okay. So they literally, excuse me, they literally kicked me out the door to be the morning reporter. You know, the guy that says you shouldn't be outside right now. It's too cold. And I'm the guy saying that. So <laughs> I mean, it was not, it was not very pleasant, but my foot was still in the door. And then, and I tell people now all the time, when things look really bleak and things aren't working out, the job you really wanted, you don't get when someone else just keep plugging, keep plugging. So I kept plugging, showing up every morning, doing the best job I could. And then thankfully, uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins hired Paul Staggerwald full-time away from KDKA. So that opened up an opportunity and they came right to me and said, uh, we have a feeling you might be interested in this. And I went, <laughs> yes, this is like a gift from God. Yes. So it became Bob Bompiani, John Staggerwald and myself as the three, you know, the three members mm-hmm. of the sports staff at KDKA. And I mean, that was, that was phenomenal. 
I mean, that was just, that, that was such a wonderful time sharing an office with those guys. Uh, they were legendary. I mean, and, and Bob's now celebrating 40 years at KDKA. I mean, it's just, and I had, you know, it ended up being 10 years uh, of being on the air at, at KDKA. And then um, another thing that happened out of that, that was really my favorite part. I mean, I've always had this, this radio, like it's like an addiction. I always, even in state college, I got up at an ungodly hour to do a morning radio show and then go do my TV job mm -hmm. because I just, I just love doing, you know, radio. So they offered me the KDKA six to nine talk show on KDKA. And mm -hmm. so I jumped on that, but I stayed, you know, full-time TV as well. So that was a crazy busy time. And then unfortunately in 05, um, on the radio side, they jumped away from sports. They thought it wasn't, you know, serving their, meanwhile, you know, firing Bob Prince was a good idea too. So, I mean, come <laughs> on. So, you know, as we know in that business, sometimes the decision makers don't make the best decisions, but the timing could not have been better. I was going to say, because 2005 is a pretty important time for the sports world in Pittsburgh. So in, <laughs> this is December, I'll never forget this, December the 28th, Myself, Mike Pintick, God rest his soul, and a couple other guys, uh, there was eight of us all together, all got fired. And front page of the uh, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette dumped with all of our pictures. And of course, I just overspent for Christmas and bought all the kids way, way too many presents. And I'm like, this isn't good. But again, timing. So the Steelers are making their little run to the Super Bowl. Andrew Stonkey had just decided he wanted to be on TV more. So he was going to go do news mm -hmm. FSN at the time. I think they were FSN. Yeah. They were FSN at the time. They wanted somebody. So, and then channel 11 had just bought, um, they were going to start doing a 10 o'clock news. I had four different entities offering me jobs. Mm -hmm. I'm like, okay, this is pretty good. Meanwhile, KDK TV, they're like, whoa, 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 you're not going anywhere. Like, <laughs> well, are you going to hire me full-time? They're like, well, no, we'll, we'll, we'll pay you like this day rate right now. That's, you know, I mean, and I remember my ex-wife going, let's hope this never goes away. I go, they're not going to keep paying me that much money every day. It's <laughs> Realize that it's not going to happen. But the timing was perfect. I went, I covered every playoff game and it was a different station. It was either FSN or KDK. Uh, God rest John Clayton, soul, a Churchill Charger like myself. Uh, I spent a week in Seattle prior to the Super Bowl. Uh, great story, if you don't mind me. Uh, that was one of my favorite stories. So I get out there, and, and John and I had known each other pretty well because, you know, we had the Churchill connection. And he came. I did a, a hit at 5, a hit at 6, and then a hit at 11 every day from Seattle. Yeah. So the news director at the time at KD was a Boston guy, not a sports guy. And he said hey, uh, enough of the goofy guy with the glasses. That's what he called John Clayton, the professor. So obviously he's not a sports guy. Yeah. But the general manager was a huge sports guy and he and I already talked a lot of sports. And I went, do me a favor, before you disregard my exclusive five o'clock, five minutes with John Clayton every day, you might want to talk to your boss. And he went, sure. You know, and he wasn't, you know, he was cool with it. And he goes, yeah. We love the guy. We love the guy with the glasses. We love him because Chris Pike set him straight and said, no, having John Clayton on every day, it's huge. So did that whole thing. 
uh, it was just a phenomenal time. And then um, I was a little tired of how news directors treated sports at the local level. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't want X's and O's. We don't want to get too heavy into, you know, we want fans and like food and tailgating. I'm like, I'm so over all of that. So I really pushed hard to get into FSN. And that's where I ended up and, and spent an amazing 15 years there. Um, and that was just phenomenal. But then, of course, in the midst of all that, one of my first bosses in State College had gone on to a big deal in D.C. Uh, with CBS Radio. Mm-hmm. Calls me. I'm trying to get the, the timing down. Must have been like 2009. Calls me and goes, why don't you come down and, and work for me again? I'm like, what's going on? He goes, we're flipping a music station. We're going all sports 24 seven. I went, Oh, I mean, I was, I was like, Oh, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. Um, I said, but I can't, I mean, DC is not a sports town. Mm -hmm. I said, you guys are going to be country in like six months. There's not going to be enough passion for sports in DC. Too much stuff going on. He goes, well, Hey, if we get running and there's a position still, I'll get back in touch with you. I'm like, oh, that's great. Yeah. Then the, the, the gentleman that had fired me from KDK Radio called me like two months later and said, hey, can we have breakfast? I'm like, are you flipping? He goes, who told you? Like he was all like, like he thought I was like giving something. I go, you don't think I follow them? You know, I follow the trends. I said, you know, Sam? He goes, yeah. And I go, well, he already offered me a job in DC. I have a feeling that's going to be a CBS radio trend that you're going to flip music stations and make them 24 seven sports. So we had breakfast offered me the fan morning show, you know, to launch that. And, uh, again, my family was like, you have a perfect full-time wonderful TV job. What are you doing? I'm like, well, I'm going to hold on to that in a part-time sense. You know, you get up, you know, I'll, I'll do four in the morning. I get up at three 30. I'll do four. It's a six to 10 show. I'll do TV a couple, two, three days a week. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Yeah. I mean, I don't need and it's sleep. what you love. I've never really needed much sleep, thankfully. So that went really well for a long period of time, but unfortunately uh, they had brought a guy in from New York who was an amazing talent. They put him on the morning with me. Uh, and I knew for a fact, he didn't want to be here. He wanted to get back in New York. And now that's exactly where he is hosting the, the WFAN fan morning show. But I got caught in the crosshairs of him just trying to get what he wanted. And it really, you know, didn't sit well with me and it shouldn't have because the ratings were good. The show was good. Everything was good. But all of a sudden I'm like out mm-hmm. you know? and again, nature of the business, nature of the base. So. Uh, thankfully, I, you know, I hung on and, and had three or four days a week with, with FSN, held on to that. And then uh, somehow, I mean, you just keep fighting and clawing. You know, it's, uh, it's a crazy business. But uh, to have as many opportunities as I've had, you know, covering, I've covered every Pirate playoff game since the, you know, since 1990 in Cincinnati, you know, five Stanley Cup championships, two Penn State National Championships, I've been to four Super Bowls, you know, two, two Steeler wins. I mean, I have no complaints, Carlo. No, no complaints at all. It's been a wonderful ride. Well, so th- 
the other side of that, and then I have a sports question for you because as a Big Ten guy, I, there are some big oh, news yeah, that came out. And, going on. Um, but you're also the vice president, and I don't want to me- mess up the way that the company is pronounced, but can you explain what that is? Oh, no, that I, I'm no longer with Sofranco. Oh, you're not with Sofranco. No, no that, and, and that was something that I, and again, you, you reinvent yourself when you have to. And uh, that is a great business, but not pandemic proof. You can't ah. help people buy and sell bars and restaurants during a pandemic. So that's why that ended prematurely. But that would have been a whole lot of fun because, uh, you know, Ron Sofranco, the, you know, the, the principal, you know, he has started so many different restaurants and then I learned so much. And I always, I attended bar through school and, and I've always had a hand kind of in the restaurant thing. And I had a lot of good friends that, that own bars and restaurants. So um, that was a career that I kind of sunk my teeth into, you know, to help people buy and sell bars and restaurants, really cool beer distributors. Mm-hmm. And, and it's really going to, I think it's going to blow up again. I think it's doing pretty well right now, helping people secure liquor licenses and things like that. It was cool. But um, no, the, the pandemic kind of, you know, I had to bring some money home and that, that wasn't getting it done. Understandable, understandable. So let's jump into what, what, you, what you love to do best. Let's talk sports. Okay. USC, UCLA deciding that they're now going to come play in the Big Ten by 2024. Um, I don't know how that works out for two teams that aren't going to be expecting, that aren't normally going to play in three, four, 10 degree weather. When you get out, what's your, what are your thoughts on that? Well, my thoughts take me all the way back uh, to uh, an amazing conversation I had with Joe Paterno uh, in 1981. In, in 1981, he went to Jim Tarman, the then athletic director, and said, you need to allow me to be athletic director for one year. I need to be able to do what I think needs to be done. And this is what a visionary Joe was. Mm-hmm. He said, it's all going to be about the mega conference. It's all going to be about the big conference. And he wanted to put the all Eastern sports conference together. And uh, some of the things that he had requested from the, you know, the fellow schools were I think a little bit egregious, but his vision was spot on. And the reason people always said like, you know, the, the whole thing with Pitt, you know, what, what was the truth there? And then, it was so funny. I was able to, I, I was able to educate Vino Cook on some things, which that's not, not many people get to do that because Vino was a legend and I love the man. Mm-hmm. But Pitt and Syracuse both said, it's all about Big East basketball. Remember how big Big East basketball was? Yes, it was. But I, I can't believe, and, and these are the people, presidents, universities, athletic directors, if you don't understand football is king, you're asleep at the wheel. Yeah. So yes. in the Big East, I mean, you're talking about Georgetown, St. John's, um, some of the other schools, they're basketball schools. They don't even have football programs. No. So here, here was Pitt and Syracuse's, you know, response to Joe Paterno to do the all Eastern sports conference because they were going to eliminate Georgetown, eliminate St. John's, eliminate the schools without football programs. But they said, not only are we not interested we will make sure you never get into the Big East for basketball. So not only were they not sharing the vision, mm-hmm. they became very nasty and petty about trying to screw Penn State. Yeah. Not cool. And when I shared that with Bino, you know, he's like, well, I go, Bino, 
It's an absolute 1000% fact. That's how it went down. That's the acrimony. That's the issue. That's the hatred. That's the, that's why. Yeah. Never again. We're going to not get, we don't care about PIP. We're not going to play because that was a crucial moment. And think about right now. The reason I bring it up is how great would it be to be geographically sound with a big TV deal and a big all Eastern sports conference that included Miami, maybe Florida, maybe Florida state, yeah. the whole Eastern seaboard. And, you know, maybe 15, 18, 20 schools. It would have been perfect. Which is what it looks like we're heading to now is the. Yeah, but now geographically, nothing makes sense. No. And by the way, and this is sometimes, you know, I, I don't want to go karma because I'm a big Pitt fan. I love Pitt and I, I, I love so many people at Pitt. I've always enjoyed Pitt. So people think, oh, you're a Penn State guy. Yeah, I am. I went to Penn State, but I grew up in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. I went to every game in 1976. I loved that 76 team. That was my first real college football team that I loved. So, but as a may- maybe a little bit of karma, I mean, right now, when you look at, if there's going to be two 20-team mega conferences, which it looks like Big Ten, SEC, Pitt's on the outside looking in. Absolutely. They're on the outside looking in, and there's no real place for them to land and right now we're going to become like cincinnati which you know isn't awful i mean cincinnati had a great year last year i mean mm-hmm. they're, but they're not a major player in college football and that's so sad they just won the acc they just had a great year absolutely but all of the when you look at all the models and how this is going to shake out it's a game of musical chairs when the music stops they don't have a chair right now no no. And that's that's awful. That and, makes me sick to my stomach. And the fact that we don't get the opportunity to to have that every year, even when you look back the James Conner game and how and how exciting that game was back and forth. The following year, how exciting it was. Oh yeah. What was is the last game the year that they got pit get stopped, like going into the end zone or yeah. the clock runs out. So, I mean, you're seeing, you see that it's the same thing. The backyard brawl comes back this year and that's a great thing, right. but that should have never been. You stopped. can't ever let that go away. It should happen every year. Absolutely. It's, it's criminal, but now, and here's another thing that a lot of people don't understand. And I love to educate people when I, when I still do a few shows on the fan, which I absolutely love. Um, when the college presidents initiated the first ever BCS, mm-hmm. the bull coalition, yeah. What they did was say, screw you, NCAA. We are not letting you control us. You don't get any of the money. All of the money, all of the TV deals will be negotiated from the schools to the TV networks, not through the NCAA. So right now, if you haven't noticed, the NCAA would love nothing better than for college football to implode. Because... Because they got, okay, oh, you want to run it yourself? Have at it. So now we have NIL. Now we have the transfer portal. We, it's the wild west. I mean, it they is. legalized, basically, people get mad when I say this, but I don't care. It's exactly what they did. They legalized cheating, period. I mean, that kind of money was always getting tossed around, but now it's on the up and up. Now it's how much can we pay? Like, like Addison you know, the mm-hmm. great wide receiver, the Bolidnikov award winner that's now at USC, he's going to make more this year than Kenny Pickett. Yep. Kenny Pickett's a 20th overall pick in the NFL draft. Addison will make more than him this year. And has not stepped foot on a pro field. 
And it's so funny because people go, they'll call the show like, well, the NCAA has to control this. I'm like, no, no, no. They don't want to. They control their little basketball tournament. They still negotiated that TV deal. Yep. They still run college basketball. They'll still regulate it. They'll still enforce it. They'll still be in charge of it. But they don't care Mm-mm. about football because they don't have a they don't have any skin in the game. No. And, and they have everything to gain if football implodes. Mm-hmm. So one last question, and then and then we're gonna we're we're coming to the end here. Um, so the Pittsburgh Pirates, and I know people hate to think we're rebuilding again, and we've we've heard this multiple times. Does this year feel a little different to you now with these young guys actually getting the chance? You know, now we have Cruz up, now you have um Bly Bly. Uh, why can't I think of his last name? I, I can remember. <laughs> But these young kids are getting to come up and actually we've heard about yeah, they're them. Coming, they're detouring from double A right up. And yeah, I mean, I've read a lot of things just in the last couple of days that, you know, be wary of the pirates. They're going to be, they're going to be a tough out in, you know, 2024 or whatever. I don't see the arms. Okay. I don't, I don't see the pitching. And the one thing, and see, to me, baseball is flawed. Mm-hmm. baseball needs to be fixed, not just the pirates. Granted, we can all be mad at the owner, but you can't fire the owner. So it's a, you can be as mad as you want. There's nothing yeah. you can do. Just, you know, suck it up and deal with it. Um, the front office they brought in, the, the group they brought in, you know, with their ties to the Red Sox and what, you know, what they had done in Toronto. I mean, they, the, their resume is legit. It mm-hmm. really is. And I don't think they would have come here if they thought their hands were going to be tied. So I'm a little bit encouraged by that. However, the example I always use, and you know, I, I worked for AT&T for many, many years. I think they give the Pirates about 45 to 50 million a year in, in broadcast TV rights. Yeah. And that's, you know, 45, 50 million seems like a lot of money, right? You know what FSN LA gives the Dodgers? 350 million Whoa. per year. So you can get mad at Bob Nutting. But when they have an additional 300 million to toss around, yeah, not to mention the 45 to 50,000 fannies in the seats every single home game, and I, you know, the radio rights, I'm sure, are through the roof too. It's just ridiculous. And none of the owners have any desire to make it an even playing field. And to me, sadly, the Pirates and a lot of these small market teams become the Washington Generals to the Harlem Globetrotters. You have to have someone that you can beat. Yeah. Someone that you can spank around and, you know, have fun with. And it's just sad because, you know, we talk about 79 and that's the last time the Pirates won a World Series. And I was a freshman at Penn State and, you know, we took over the town. We took over the, the downtown when, when the Pirates won that World Series. And as much as I enjoyed the 90 playoffs, the 91 playoffs, I was in Atlanta when Sid Breen did what he did. And I knew right then and there, it's going to be a long, long drought because baseball was changing. Mm-hmm. Free agency and everything else was changing. Uh, at that point, unregulated, everybody spent about the same amount of money on payroll just because and, that's what they did. And now the, the uh, difference is... The disparity is just so... And the reason I don't think the Pirates are going to be contenders anytime soon is if you don't draft and develop pitching and power you can't afford to go get it later. That's true. Pitching, pitching and power are not affordable 
So if you don't either, you know, like say you trade, and I hope they don't sell up Brian Reynolds, but if you trade Brian Reynolds for someone's top, you know, double A or triple A pitching prospect, he better hit. He yeah, better yeah. be, you know, he better be that because no one's going to trade. If they're making a run to the postseason, you're not trading away viable pitching. No. You need that more than anything in the world. You're getting a prospect. You're getting a handful Correct. of prospects, which Charrington is the right to ones. Be. And that, that yeah. look at Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay does it each and every year, but they put people like the Pirates to sleep with trades. Yeah. The Glassnell Meadows trade. The Archer we'll trade. haunt them they, for they, years. Tampa Bay put the Pirates to sleep. But Neil Huntington finally did what the Pirate fans have clamored for give up the prospects, get a proven player. And it, they did, and it didn't work out so well. Worst trade in pirate history. And it's what pirate fans wanted. And just because I, I don't, because I know what today is, and we're recording this on probably the greatest heist in Major League Baseball history. Happy Bobby Bonilla Day to you. Uh, uh, that agent is a genius. Sports. How about, I'll never forget when, uh, this was one of those like crazy days, and I see the, the, the video highlights a lot. I just saw it on... Uh, on AT&T the other day. That day, the Pirates were hosting the Mets and Bobby Bonilla for the first time since he had mm -hmm. been traded. And they used Three Rivers Stadium for the celebration of the Penguins Cup. You know, you see Brian Trottier sliding with the cup. And I mean, that was at Three Rivers Stadium all the same day. And I, I got a one-on-one -on -one with Bobby Bonilla. And he just said, They'll never wipe the smile. They'll, they'll never wipe the smile off Bobby Bo's face. <laughs> and then they started throwing batteries at him. I don't think he was smiling too much after that. But the agent is the agent's got to be a genius when oh. you when you work that out because you wake up on July first every year <laughs> and you got to here's my check. Thanks. Thanks. It's Bobby Bonilla Day and it's <laughs> celebrated all over the country. You got to love it. Well, Paul, I want to say thank you for taking time to sit with us here. Um, My pleasure. We, we're here every Thursday. You can find us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcast, iHeart, Wisdom, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. The only one that you can't find us just by typing in Dingo Talk is Instagram because somebody else had Dingo Talk, so it's Dingo underscore talk. Don't type it in. It's just the wild dogs. It's a bunch of pictures of them. I've tried. I've been tagged the in ding, them. The, the dingo ate my baby. That is their, that's their, that's their profile picture. Um, I am Carlo Guadagnino. This is Paul Alexander. Uh, this was Dingo Talk, and we will catch you guys next week. You